This is Liz. And this is Sharon. And you're listening to Unrefined She. The well-being podcast for women like you who want to explore your health, claim your space, question norms, and live your best lives. Hosted weekly by entrepreneurs and women's health experts, Liz Winters and Sharon Bailey. As always, please keep in mind that the information shared on this podcast is for general purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. And now, let's dive in. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Packed Apparel. Now, I love Packed. If you haven't heard of them, they are on a mission to become Earth's favorite clothing company, and they are definitely one of mine. I am currently cozied up in my favorite packed sweatshirt. It is so comfy and so wonderful. I swear by their maternity nursing tank tops, as well as their maternity undies, things you didn't even know you needed, maternity underwear, right? Well, Pact has got you covered. They have organic cotton, cozy clothes for women, men, baby, kids. They even have sheets and towels, y'all. It's amazing. And it's about more than just cozy, awesome clothes. They're really taking care of their workers by partnering with Fairtrade certified factories to ensure they're both caring for people and for planet. They provide carbon offset shipping and really thoughtful packaging to reduce and minimize that life cycle footprint. Now, they're also being incredibly generous to our unrefined she community and offering a discount code for your very first purchase so you can get 20% off at wearpacked.com with the code unrefined20. That's wearpacked, W-E-A-R-P-A-C-T.com with code unrefined20. Hey, she's, this is Sharon. I am delighted to share with you today this conversation I had with Jess Adams about perimenopause and menopause. Um, A few months ago, perimenopause showed up as a potential thing that I was entering into, and so I immediately dove down the rabbit hole to try to find people to learn from because I didn't even really know what perimenopause was. So um, I came across Jess Adams and I really loved the way she talked about perimenopause, as you will see in this episode. I mean, she reframes it in such a powerful way. Um, But I want to share with you a little bit about who she is. Uh, So Jess Adams is a wellness health coach Perry, and postmenopause wellness specialist and menopause yoga teacher. She helps uh, moms in particular, but women in perimenopause feel strong, energized, and as at ease with the hormonal changes uh, through her one-to-one health coaching and her 90-day online group program and women's well-being yoga. Um, her mission is to help moms feel Uh, who feel unprepared for an overwhelmed by perimenopause, feel strong, energized, and at ease in themselves once more. She helps people to understand the psychological and physiological changes while supercharging their nutrition, movement, and lifestyle so they have a clear roadmap for their emotional, physical, and hormonal health through menopause. It's such an incredibly powerful conversation about something that All people who have a female reproductive system will go through, but most of us don't know anything about it. Um, So I invited her on the show to lay a ton of knowledge down, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And here's Jess Adams. Hey, Jess Adams, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on Unrefined She today. How are you? 
Yeah. Hi, Sharon. So lovely to speak to you. And yeah, really excited, really well here. It's beautiful in the UK. Spring is springing and everything's pushing through. So yeah, good mood today. Yeah. Tell, tell everybody where exactly you are. So I live uh, just south of a city called Bristol in the southwest of England uh, in an area of outstanding natural beauty. So we're close to a brilliant city, but we've got amazing hills and woodlands on our doorstep. So yeah, very fortunate here. I love that. I think I'm going to start using that for describing Paonia, outstanding natural beauty. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And you live on a, um, you said like a little community collective growing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we know we don't live on the collective, but we live in a village and um, we live in like an eco house in the older part of the village. uh, And then down the road, there's a growing project, a community project. So it's um, a chap called Phil and he calls it a social club with vegetables. But basically we grow enough veg throughout the year to feed about 25 members and um, and their families. Amazing. Yeah. And what's your growing season like? I'm like, the homesteader in me is like, tell me more. <laughs> well, it's changing, obviously, like everyone's growing season. Uh-huh. So um, yeah, we're at the end of February, which last year was like Baltic and freezing cold and the ground was hard and wet. But this year it's like we're planting things and we've already got things going in the polytunnel and preparing all the beds. So yeah, it's not as predictable as it used to be, but it's basically March all the way through until the end of October. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, it is not as predictable as it used to be. (laughs) Um, Well, great. So we start every episode off with a fun little question called what's cooking in your kitchen? So what's cooking in your kitchen this week? So, yeah, I was thinking about this one. This is fun. We had a whole lamb delivered from a farm uh, in an area of Somerset called the Quantock Hills. So we've been working our way through this beautiful organic lamb. Um, Amazing. And so that's been, and we've been doing like goat curries, but with lamb. So that's been delicious. Heartbreak curry from, uh, there's a chain of restaurants called Leon in the UK, which like a really healthy healthy fast food uh, and have amazing recipes so we're using their heartbreak um goat curry but with the lamb and then all the um wild garlic is pushing through now in the woods so every time i go up into the woods take a handful of wild garlic and then that's just going in everything pesto uh, stir fries anywhere you can add greens we're getting those wild greens in so yeah really fortunate to have you know, huge expanses of wild garlic, which is so nutritious. Um, mm, that's amazing. And so you, your family got this lamb or like the community got the lamb. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? I'm so fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the family got it. It's okay. from a um, farm called Stream Farm and they do Great. three things. They do organic lamb, they do organic chickens and they do uh, trout, river trout. Mm. Awesome. Mm. awesome. So you can order whatever you like and they deliver it to you. And uh, then, yeah. But if you order lamb, you have to order a half lamb or a whole lamb. You can't just uh-huh. order a piece of lamb. Gotcha. Yeah. But like buying a share of an animal is 
the best, you know, <laughs> like for meat eaters, like I'm a meat eater and like buying a share of an animal is cost effective. It's, you know, the most sustainable way that you can consume meat. And, um, I love that y'all are doing that. That's so great. We, um, we have yet to find exactly the like right meat hookup here in Paonia, but, uh, my eyes are open wide. So that is encouraging. Um, and so are you like a food forager? Do you like go out and forage food as well as like growing in the community? Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. Anything that grows in season, I try and eat <laughs> as much of, you know, wild garlic's the obvious one because it's so abundant. Um, but also, you know, just when you're out, you can pick off the, the new hawthorn leaves and eat those. Mm hmm. And I'm learning more and more. Some years I forget what I've learned previous years. So then I have to go mm -hmm. back and remember. <laughs> totally. Totally. We have um, here in the mountains. So we're still we're still in winter, although this this week, like I'm seeing the transition into spring, like we're supposed to get to like 60 degrees, which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, and in the in like May, Mm -hmm. There are, there's wild asparagus that grows. We have like these irrigation ditches that come like gravitational fed, um, irrigation ditches that come out of the mountains and all up and down the ditches, there's wild asparagus that grows. And I am super excited for asparagus season because it's like, there's basically three weeks of just never ending asparagus and you just eat as much of it as you can. And then like at the end of that, eating asparagus from the store one is like not sustainable, you know, trying to get the asparagus from wherever it comes from, but it's also just not as good. And like when you get spoiled in asparagus season, it's, it's, you just can't go back. And so it's been a long time since I've had asparagus and I am so ready. And it's also like the sign that it's growing season has started and just super excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It's yeah. amazing when you forage and then you, yeah, you get used to that cycle of the year. It's like, oh, you get really excited about your food. Like totally. Everyone gets excited about the weather and the sun, but you're like, oh, but I can eat this and I can eat that and that's going to be growing. And it's like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a really wonderful way to, to, um, yeah, just stay connected and always have be in that, like, what's next? What's coming next? And yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I love eating seasonally because it is exactly that. And like here as the fruit trees, there's, we have lots of orchards and wild fruit. And as the fruit starts coming on, you know, it's like cherries are the end of June to the beginning of July. And then, you know, and then they just start trickling in. And my favorite is our peaches in August are hands down, I think the best, maybe the best peaches in the world. I, I would go so far to say that. <laughs> I know like we grow our own food. So, um, you know, we're like really in, um, like in sync with what's coming up and like what's going on and what's coming into the kitchen at that point. But it really just kind of helps connect to the rhythm of the seasons as well. And like how my body, like what my body is asking for and, um, you know, and, and to just like be able to walk out in the garden or like walk up in the woods and like pick up food and then go in the kitchen and cook it. Like, oh man, I'm so excited. I've, I'm a little too like over winter right now. <laughs> just daydreaming yeah. about summer. <laughs> There's only so many stews you can eat and uh, 
think we're using up the last of the swede today and some of the pumpkins are just from last year are still there but they're just starting to rot so you're like oh yeah yeah new stuff in totally yeah the same we're kind of getting to where most of our like winter squash that we grew um i'm tired of cooking them tired of eating them and so we're just cooking them and giving them to the chickens because i'm just like let's turn this into eggs or something i don't know i can't eat anymore (laughs) so yeah i know everybody like throws out their like pumpkin recipes in october and november i'm like where's the march and the april pumpkin recipes you know (laughs) because that's a real thing for us Do you have the hungry gap? Do you call it the hungry gap now? No, I'm not sure what that is. So uh, I think it's like, yeah, kind of January into February is the hungry gap where you've used up all the winter store of veg. And then there's kind of, yeah, there's just a few squash left and a few carrots and a few Swedes. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then you're waiting for when the wild greens start to arrive and then you get more diversity. Yeah, that's definitely where we are. I think ours is probably a longer gap just because of how long it can take for growing season to start. But we have an, um, a greenhouse on the front of our house. I think I was telling you about this before, but we have a greenhouse that we built on the front of our house that we've been like, um, grow. we're starting to grow some like lettuce greens and we have some broccoli and uh, collards and stuff like that, beets and carrots coming up, which is exciting. So oh, amazing. Yeah, it's kind of our saving grace. <laughs> I bet with your son as well to be growing and showing him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We put this, the people who used to own our house had a wine company, and I'm not quite sure what exactly they did. They didn't make wine, but they, I think, distributed wine, and they had all of these huge wine barrels. We, like, inherited the house with a bunch of wine barrels, and a lot of them were cut in half, and so... My husband dug um, a wine barrel size hole in this uh, in the greenhouse, and then we made like a little pond. Um, and so we're going to try growing watercress, although it's hard to say if it's going to work or not. But Fox will go out and like play in the little pond, and it's it gets up to eighty degrees in that greenhouse, and it's thirty degrees outside, but it's eighty degrees in the greenhouse and humid and wonderful, you know. And he's like picking little bugs out of the the dirt and you know playing in the water and it's just so nice and there's like a little sidewalk in there so we like draw with the sidewalk chalk and just like have some um some like summer vibes during the winter it's huge for for my like mental health in the winter here in the mountains for sure yeah Yeah. amazing amazing yeah well sweet um I want to take a little second here and hear from our wonderful sponsors Hey she's, I think we can all agree there's nothing else that can quickly send your day sideways than a visit from the hangry monster. I learned pretty quickly during pregnancy and now as a parent to tiny, hungry, hungry humans that having snacks on hand is key to everyone's sanity and survival. And while my snack of choice is typically fresh food, it's not easy or convenient when I'm on the go. And okay, to be honest, I've found one too many squished bananas or hard-boiled eggs at the bottom of my purse than I care to admit which is why I love the grass-fed beef sticks from Paleo Valley. I stash these protein-rich snacks in my purse and the diaper bag, so I'm always prepared. Unlike other meat sticks, Paleo Valley beef sticks contain 100% grass-fed and finished beef from American farmers who practice rotational grazing, which is better for you and better for the planet. 
100% grass-fed beef contains more B vitamins, calcium, magnesium, potassium, zinc, phosphorus, beta-carotene, and iron than grain-fed beef. And it has important fat-soluble vitamins that can protect against cardiovascular disease. It's a snack I feel good about eating and sharing with my kiddos. So if you're looking to level up your snack game, head over to paleovalley.com and enter the code UNREFINED15 at checkout to save 15% on your next order. That's paleovalley.com with code UNREFINED15. Okay, she's, if you've been listening for a while, you know how much I love CBD. Stressed? Take some CBD. Sore muscles? CBD, of course. Liz and I personally use CBD in our daily lives and have seen CBD help our clients with pain, anxiety, period cramps, and more, which is why we are so happy to partner with our friends at Rock and Roots Farm. Rock and Roots is a family-run farm and herbal medicine brand. John and Candace, owners and farmers at Rock and Roots, pride themselves in supporting the community and planet through regenerative agriculture, education programs, and affordable access to beyond organic produce, CBD, and herbal health products. We love Rock and Roots, and we know you will too. Shop their CBD and herbal products at www.rockandrootsfarm.com and select Unrefined She from the drop-down menu as your affiliate at checkout. Let's go ahead and dive in. So I really like to start with the origin story. For everybody I interview, I want to hear about like, you know, who you are, where you came from, how you got where you are. And uh, so Dish, tell us everything. Uh, yeah. So perimenopause specifically, or what became before, before that? <laughs> well, all of it. I think every, your story in particular, I feel like it's just building on top of each, like everything on top of each other until you've reached this place. So tell us a little bit about all of it. Yeah. So I guess, uh, my interest or kind of amazement in women's bodies, uh, and what they can do really grew, uh, from my childhood when I grew up in the circus. So, uh, we, we traveled the country and we did shows and, um, so we were always on the move, but there were some amazing women in that environment and they had complete, kind of trust in their bodies and they were very strong women. So I always had this idea that women's bodies could do amazing things. And then um, as I grew older, I became, my first job was as a health and fitness journalist and travel journalist and kind of in that vein, I was like, yeah, I can do what I want. I can go where I want. And so I tried new things and did like lots of adventure sports and surfing and, um, yeah, had like a dream job really. For my twenties, it was absolutely brilliant and perfect. And I wrote a lot about health and, and wellness. <clears throat> I really changed my nutrition a lot because I realized by the time I got to university, it was atrocious. <laughs> like I was wondering why I was so tired because I'd eat like a bowl of noodles and a flapjack all day. And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> could barely walk to the library. And I was like, definitely didn't know anything about nutrition I just thought kind of being healthy was being thin so I tried not to eat anything and mm. um classic trap that we can fall into so then during my 20s I was like don't think this is working this isn't quite right so I kind of really started to educate myself uh around food and nutrition 
Um, and before paleo was a thing, I wasn't really eating bread or grains. I'd worked out that fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds and kind of light on the meat, but, um, and heavy on the whole foods was what really worked for me. So then when I had, uh, kids, I remember with my first pregnancy, I was, um, by this time I'd moved from London, um, to Bristol. And I'd moved to Bristol because it was green and everyone was happy. You walked down the street and they had a tan and they were smiling. <laughs> and um, so it was, it's a really kind of outdoorsy city, but it's got loads of culture going on. So I'd moved there um, and I got pregnant with my first child. And we were set, sitting at um, like an antenatal group presentation in the local hospital and a woman um was asking about uh pain pain um you know control like pain management in labor and i was like what what is that is that like a thing and then she was asking about like epidurals and this all this stuff had no idea and i had no clue that you needed pain relief for birth I thought you just like, I'd seen it on the circus, women have babies, that's it. Uh, and off you go. So at the same time, I was going to some really amazing classes um, with one of my great mentors, Dominique Sikowski. And I was just totally inspired by all the stories coming through. That was the first time I'd sat in a room or of women sharing their emotions, their feelings, what was going on with their bodies. And I just thought, this is what I want to do now while I have kids. So then I trained with my mentor and um, was a childbirth educator and doula, pre and postnatal yoga teacher for 10 years while my kids were really, um, really little. They're now eight and 13. And then, um, so I loved that and I loved being part of the community and seeing loads of mums and helping them through their experiences. And then my youngest went to school and I thought, okay, right, next thing, got, you know, what's, what's my next thing going to be? Because I always um, been like, oh, I want to do that. Okay, let's go and do that. And then it was so weird because he went to school and I was like, don't really want to do that anymore. Not a freaking clue what I want to do next just had this feeling of uncertainty was knackered completely knackered felt my like self-esteem kind of dropping and, and lowering and my anxiety was rising and I was like this is really weird I don't know what's going on okay what I'm going to do is just go and spend loads of time in nature so I was kind of playing in nature and and resting and focusing good things like seeing my friends and then my period started to kind of get further and further apart and I was like oh something's up something's changing I think I'm going into a new phase into a new cycle and um I had read in one of my my women's health books about perimenopause it was um uh, had a yogic perspective on on perimenopause and I thought and one thing that really struck me was that it was marked by a period of uncertainty, like real uncertainty. And I was like, yeah, I definitely feel uncertain about everything. <laughs> uh, 
and I don't really understand why that is happening to me. But once I kind of understood, then I could start to bring in my kind of support networks. Uh, and, you know, I went to see my psychotherapist and I got an amazing acupuncturist. So I worked with her and then I just started to go to groups and chat to my friends and realized that I was experiencing perimenopause, but a lot earlier than, than most of my friends were. So I, by that time I was in my late thirties and and going into my early 40s. So I kind of thought, wow, this is the next thing, isn't it? This is the next thing that we don't know how to do as, as women because we've not been taught how to do it. And I'm a bit gutted that I'm in it now because I really love my periods and I'd really got into that rhythm and, and I hadn't had them long since I'd stopped breastfeeding my my second child, my second son. So I was kind of looking forward to another 10 years of like nice steady um, menstruation and, and really kind of going deeper into the menstrual cycle. But it wasn't meant to be. So for whatever reason, I meant to deep dive into, into perimenopause. And I think like a lot of women going into that, because no one talks about it, there's, you know that there's menopause, but you don't really know anything about the process of menopause. You don't understand that there's something leading up to menopause. You don't understand when it begins. You're just like kind of flailing around. And I didn't find one route that really resonated to me. So I went to lots of different workshops and worked with lots of different teachers. Uh, until I found kind of what really worked for me support wise and then how to overhaul my nutrition, overhaul my exercise, overhaul um, my stress, actually stress that I hadn't re even realized that I was dealing with um, and then slowly kind of bring my health back on track um, and my mental health and my physical health, because at this phase of life, they're really like even more inter intertwined, I think. Um, so so yeah and it's taken me to places like it's taken me outside yoga as well to to kind of follow different pathways and get more into health coaching and particularly women's health coaching so i can really understand what's what's going on and then the, the problems that women are facing because of um yeah some some real kind of gaps in knowledge and gaps in understanding so yeah, so now uh, sometimes I get symptoms, but not really. And if I do, I know exactly why generally, because I've been on Zoom until nine o'clock in the evening and I won't sleep and I'll sweat and I'll get anxious <laughs> the next day. Uh, but all in all, I'm pretty confident with working with my energy, knowing what's coming, understanding um, what I can do to help myself as well as being in like an ongoing process of, of just getting things checked out. I think this is a really key time of life. Like anything that's niggling you, get it checked out, get support with it, get help with it. Don't let it kind of linger, linger on. So yeah, I feel like I'm in a, in a good place and, and sharing that with other women and working with them very methodically through through their lives and to help them to really change their perspective and their feeling about perimenopause and and what they think or feel is possible for them and, and getting them in really fantastic health 
So yeah, it's a, it's a delight. It's the next phase. It wasn't what I expected, but here I am I'm loving it. Mm, wow. That's so powerful. First of all, I had no idea you were in the circus. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could probably do a whole episode on, you know, your experience growing up in the circus. That's awesome. Um, you know, I think this might be a good time. Like I found you on Instagram because in the fall and winter, I started having some funky stuff going on with my period. And like my work is around teaching people to utilize the rhythms, one of them being the menstrual cycle um, for, you know, product productivity and sustainable well-being and whatnot. Yeah. And so I started having some funky stuff going on with my period. And I was like, OK. And I reached out to my um, my allopathic practitioner and she was like, oh, uh, yeah, you might be perimenopausal. We should, you know, we could put you on birth control. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, and I was like, I don't even know what perimenopause is. And so I just started like searching on Instagram and I found you and I was like, I really loved the way that you framed it. There was something um, you said about, you know, perimenopause that in like Chinese medicine, they look at it as like the second spring. And I was like, yes, I can resonate with that. Like, you know, looking at it from a perspective of um, finding the positive shift in it, as opposed to just being like something that we dread and that's going to happen. And it also, I think in, I know in like West, I feel like in Western culture, there's a correlation between perimenopause and menopause and like being obsolete. And I feel like it, it, um, like that's been a fear for me is like, what happens once I go into perimenopause and menopause? Like, because we don't have representation a lot of women who are in that phase of life. It's either like, especially like in, you know, uh, like when it comes to like actors or performers or whatever, it's, it's often like young people. And then you see the occasional person who's like in their fifties and on. Right. Um, and so I, and I feel like there's, there's, a a connection with like women who are going through that transition. There's a lot of negative things. Like people make fun of the hot flashes and the like you know, irrational mood swings and stuff like that. Like it's it like it's a negative thing. And it's like, yeah, okay, I don't want to do that, but obviously I'm gonna have to. So like one thing I loved about you was just how you reframed it. So can you just talk about one, what perimenopause and menopause are and this like your journey and how you walk people through like reframing the idea of menopause and like into the second spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So yeah, first of all, perimenopause is the period of transition, like hormonal transition from regular menstruation, so regular periods, uh, until your periods stop, which is menopause. So perimenopause can be, uh, it can last four months or up to about 12 years, depending on the woman. It Wait, hold on, 12 yeah. years? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Continue. <laughs> so your sex hormones start changing at the age of 35. So we hear about the biological clock. It's real from the age of 35, your estrogen and your progesterone starts dropping the, the ovaries stop gradually stop producing progesterone and estrogen, your sex hormones. And some women won't notice the effects of those changes until they're in their late 40s. 
but most women will start to notice the effects of those changes in their mid 40s that's kind of typical the natural or normal age of menopause is age 42 to age 51 so if you were to go through menopause within those ages that would be normal anything before 42 is considered early menopause and before the age of 40 it's a, a really nice term um premature premature ovarian insufficiency nice language <laughs> um, wow yeah that yeah. feels so good <laughs> yeah so watch how we talk about women's life cycles and and their bodies um so yeah so perimenopause is really your second adolescence so we all know about our first adolescence there's lots of physical changes there's lots of uh, emotional and psychological changes so you go through your second adolescence and that's perimenopause so in terms of um what that looks like there's obviously lots of changes to your body because your body has to adjust from um, your estrogen, you know, that's like kind of like a really big hormone that everyone knows about. Ovaries producing your estrogen, but now um, it's switching over to the adrenals and also to um, your waistline. So, you know, that kind of midlife, midriff, uh, everyone gets a little bit of a belly. So a little bit of a belly is a good thing because uh, it produces estrogen uh, that your body needs. But it's a long transition and uh, it should be a smooth and easy transition. But what I'm really noticing and what you've picked up on is that it seems to be a very rocky road for a lot of women. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the things that you've mentioned, like no, you know, dreading it, feeling obsolete, what happens to women when they're over the age of 45, where do they go? We don't see them anymore. Like there's a real fear there uh, of aging and anything that exacerbates your stress through this period, mental, emotional stress will actually exacerbate your symptoms as well. So yeah and in the west we seem to have you know most the biggest problems with symptoms and we also have the biggest fear of aging so there's definitely something going on there so if we think about different models for the perimenopause to menopause transition they're really you know the one of the most beautiful ones comes from the traditional chinese medicine and they call the process of perimenopause into menopause as of um, moving as moving into wholeness. So it's the phase in your life where you really become you. You're not giving birth to babies anymore, <laughs> but you're giving birth to like the truest, wholest, um, most powerful expression of yourself. So as your estrogen falls away, it's like a veil falls away and all those people pleasing behaviors where our hormones in the best possible way are designed to make us subservient to the needs of others, like the, the survival of the species, if you want to think in that terms, needs us to be responsive to little people so that those little people survive. And then as the estrogen falls away and we go through a period of separation, separation from our role as mother, we go through this process of moving into wholeness. And if we can do the work of perimenopause 
and surrender to that process, then what happens is then you can emerge into this second spring where you're full of vitality and energy and there's that clarity and truth and power uh, that you can use now to be more like a mother to the species. That's the grandmother role, isn't it? Mother to the species and, and a mentor and be an elder. Um, even, but I mean, think that can sound quite early. Hey, I don't want to be an elder just yet. <laughs> and I really think that our relationship with that is changing because we do live so much longer now. Um, and most women have a half or a third of their years post-menopause. So it's not like we get to menopause and then it's the end of the road that like we get to menopause. And then at that phase, for some women, that just opens up whole new potential. Kids have left home, new energy, new vitality. You know, let's, let's do this. What am I really here for now? Um, so that can be a really exciting way of looking at it. However, it can be really difficult too, because one of the things that estrogen does for us is that it buffers our stress. Mm. So as we're going about our careers in our 20s, as we're mothering, you know, typically in late 20s into 30s, we've got this huge buffer of estrogen that buffers our stress. So anything that we are not dealing with that can be pushed aside for one for, for now, um, we were able to do that more or less successfully. But when you get into perimenopause and you've still got like unresolved trauma or there's, it doesn't have to be unresolved trauma. It could just be something that's really pissing you off or some aspect of your life that you know hasn't been working for you for a while. It all kind of bubbles to the surface and it's there right in your face. Mm. And it's saying like, you need to deal with me now. <laughs> like, this is the time. This is the time. And it's like a process of kind of decluttering, clearing the space, clearing the way, making space for deep self-care and deep healing so that you can move into that wholeness, feeling like you've left, you know, left all of that stuff to one side and, and you've honoured it. And, and that's why lots of feelings of like grief can come up sadness confusion resistance to feeling those feelings i just don't want to go there so yeah there's no doubt that it can be really challenging but i think when you see it for what it is and the potential in it it's like okay now's my time okay let's let's make those changes let's really do self-care this time let's not just skip over it and think we're doing it let's really do it and and your body gets so sensitive that it will tell you exactly if something's working for you or not. It's so clear. It's so clear. So that, that is the beauty of it. If you're prepared and, and willing to go to that place with it. Does that, do you have any questions that makes sense? Oh my God. So many. Um, yeah. wow. That's so powerful. Like, um, there were like a number of things that you said that just totally gave me chills. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We could just got to reframe. And one thing that comes up for me is like, our detachment, you know, one of the things that the patriarchy has done so well has detached us from our elders and from learning from our elders, right? So that's why there's so many women who go into pregnancy and birth and they're just like, what? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to breastfeed? You have to hire a person now, you know, when 
a few generations back, it was just built into the system. Same thing with aging. And, you know, I'm seeing this more and more as I'm beginning to age, I'm kind of looking at what's happening, like with my body and the responses that my body is having. And especially being that I pay so much attention by like tracking my cycle and I'm seeing all the, the, all the signs, you know, they're all there. Um, and, and I think about then, like, I look again at representation and I'm just like, I feel like there's often this like epiphany that happens for women in this like menopausal, like age range. That's like, I'm tired of this bullshit. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. Like I've been shoving my feelings down for how long, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's so interesting to hear what's physiologically actually happening to make the a person like stand up for themselves more or have to deal with their emotions more. And then how that's portrayed in the media or in like, you know, Hollywood here in the States is like, well, those are just, um, you know, difficult women who are just trying to like, I, I don't even know, have a midlife crisis or some bullshit like that. You know, I mean, there's just no positive portrayals that I can even think of um, that that like portray the transition and the beauty of, the, of all those things that you were talking about. And, and and also with our cultures, like being totally terrified of aging I mean, all of those things, like you said, you know, all of those things pile up and pile up and pile up and put women in a place where we're kind of set up to fail through this time if we don't have support and education, like with the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just so fascinating to me. Like, can you talk a little bit about like the psychological process of going into menopause? Yeah, so I don't know if you are familiar with the work of someone called Alexandra Pope. So she's done, so she's, there's a, I'm sure it's, you know, known worldwide, but she has a kind of a model of the menstrual cycle based on the seasons. So she, I think it was, I worked with her about 10, 15 years ago when she was just starting out really. And um, she's really mapped the the moods, the seasons of the menstrual cycle um, with the seasons of the year. So she talks about like um, the premenstruum as being autumn, the menstruation, you know, when you're when you're bleeding, that's being like your winter, your deep winter, and then when you come out, uh, you're in your spring, and then ovulation is your summer. Mm -hmm. And you can map those seasons also onto the the seasons of your life. Um, so your mother mothering years is like your summer, and from summer uh, you fall into autumn. And perimenopause is uh, through menopause is like your autumn into winter. So it, if you imagine the leaves falling from the trees, you're separating. I mean, thinking about it, you're separating almost from like your branches and your roots the, the the tree that supported you so far uh, and you're falling away from that and you're going into a much more kind of inward drawing your energy is much more inward drawing you're naturally restful you're naturally reflective you can be intensely self-critical in that place as well if you're not careful not mindful of how you're, you're talking to yourself um, and so women, you know, some of the symptoms, they typically feel tired, they feel down, they feel low. Um, 
they can start to think that there's something wrong with them because they're experiencing those. But then if they think, well, actually, this is my time to rest. This is my time to rest. And I had a really, when I first went into perimenopause, I had a really powerful vision. I think I was just lying in my bed and I was really tired. And then I had this vision of me, you know, around a fire and I was stirring the pot and making the stew. And then, and I was so tired. And then all these women just came out of the forest and started surrounding me and they were singing to me. And they said, no, I'm going to stir the pot. I'm going to look after the children. You lie down. And I just had this vision of me like lying down. They said, just sleep as long as you need to. And I was just sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. And they were singing and cooking and playing. And then I woke up and, and I was ready and my energy was renewed. And then they kind of moved away back into the forest. So it's that feeling, can you allow yourself to be really nourished on a deep level by your food, by your nutrition, by the people around you? And if you can rest in your autumn and be in that feminine receptive place, and sometimes that can feel like a death as you move into the winter phase of menopause because you're having to let go of so many different things that you've been holding on to, like all the different roles that you've been playing and all the different kind of things that you've been juggling, uh, threads that you've been holding. And um, yeah, and then, so you go through pre process of separation, review, reflection, and then real refinement as you let everything fall away and you step out into the spring, the early spring with these kind of new shoots and new ideas. Maybe you're picking up on things that you left in your childhood that weren't acceptable or you didn't have time or you didn't think they were valid. So maybe you start picking up some of those, those, uh, that energy on those ideas again in your menopause. And then when you emerge, from your um, deep winter uh, with those new shoots of energy and excitement. You can start to feed those and, and explore those and, and then step out into your second spring with a really clear idea of where you want to go forward. So the bit that we don't do well, you know, <laughs> we do the spring, don't we? <laughs> we do the beautiful young maiden. We do the summer really well. We do the, you know, beautiful mother with her full breasts and her fertile body and, you know, vision of, of productivity really, isn't she? <laughs> and, and sexuality. But we don't do the autumn very well at all. We don't do the premenstruum very well because when we have to step off that productive outward energy of ovulation, of summer, of mothering. So that's, I think, why we find it so difficult in perimenopause because we have to take a step back and really be um, very clear about how we're going to spend our energy, where we're going to put our attention in perimenopause because if we exhaust ourselves by doing too many things we're not boundaried we're not clear about where we want to put our energy and it's really hard for our body to transition through um, perimenopause in in a much gentler way mm, that, God, that explains so the psychological phase yeah so yeah hopefully that gives you an idea yeah that painted a really beautiful picture and i i had never heard of can you say that person's name again who teaches with the seasons Alexandra Pope. Okay. 
it's surprising. I haven't heard of this person, but that's how I teach about the cycles as well. Um, I like to add in the, there's a a fifth season in Chinese Mm -hmm. medicine. They use late summer, early summer and late summer. Yeah. And I can like, you know, see the shift there. Um, but wow, that's so powerful. And we don't, we don't do fall. (laughs) We, we don't do winter well. Uh, and our system isn't set up for it. You know, like we live in a system that was created with people who have 24 hour hormonal cycles and that don't really have that second change that we get to go through. So, um, it often feels like, you know, we're trudging through, um, I like to say it feels like I'm, I'm wading through a bowl of chili during like (laughs) my like fall into winter. Like, why is this so hard? And it's like, oh, because I'm supposed to be resting. Um, and that vision that you shared was so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh yeah. Real pleasure. And, and one thing I was trying to, when I first came to this, I was like trying to understand the, the archetypes because we have like the triple, um, triple goddess, don't we? Uh, we have maiden, mother and crone, but it's like, we've, we've missed out. <laughs> like, where's that fourth goddess? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yes. So there's something that happens between mother and crone. It's, it's a, you know, it's a good chunk of your life. So um archetypes i found were like uh enchantress Mm, because it can be very like if you are prepared to kind of get familiar with your body rather than be scared of the change of your body it can be a very like sensual experience you can kind of you can receive wisdom and visions you can be in quite a dreamy place a lot of women talk about like this huge upsurge of creativity. Like it's bonkers. I don't know what on earth to do with all this creativity. It's like even so big, I don't know where to start with it. It's like mind blowing. So, um, and then queen, the queen, this is the phase of the queen. This is like delegate. Don't like that. Off with the head. Mm. <laughs> don't like that. Off with mm-hmm. <laughs> do that for me do that for me i'm just gonna rest on my throne and you know survey the lay of the land and see you know what orders i want to give next so yeah so that's where your power is really in this this creativity and vision of and sensuality of the enchantress and the and the the power and the power of delegation as a queen oh my god i love that so much Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it is like, you're so right. We're missing a huge archetype there because I am 38. I'm looking at perimenopause, like it's on the horizon. And I'm like, I am not ready to be a crone. Okay. (laughs) Like, like like when I'm in like, you know, my eighties maybe. And, and yeah, like just walking around my house without my clothes on because I forgot and like telling all kinds of weird stories and whatnot, you know, just be for fun. Like I'll, I'll do that. That sounds great, but I am not ready to be the crone. Now I am ready to be the queen now. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. That's amazing. So can you also tell us a little bit about like, what is happening in the body, you know, like with the heart, brain, bone disease were some things that you brought up and then like how we can prepare ourselves to, to like 
have a, I would like to gently ease into perimenopause. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I even told my husband last year, I was like, I really want to focus the next couple of years on getting my body ready for perimenopause. And little did I know that I was already starting to enter into that. But, um, so yeah, like what's going on inside of us? What, how physically can we prepare ourselves? So the best indication really of what your perimenopause is going to look like is what your relationship is to your menstrual cycle. So you've got years of menstrual cycle to prepare you for a much longer premenstrum. So all the strategies that you're employing in that premenstrual phase amp them up (laughs) and get them really dialed in (laughs) so that you are in love with that premenstrual phase you're comfortable with your autumn you know how to care for yourself in your winter and you're really open to the vision and the creativity that comes through those phases so we're not seeing them any longer as a uh, unproductive part of the cycle the most in many ways the most rich part of our lives the rich part of our cycle because it gives us information that we're going to act on if you are angry and irritable as fuck in your premenstrum what is going on what are you pushing to one side in spring and summer in pre-ovulation and ovulation what is the the that stress buffer of estrogen What's it enabling you to push to one side? And then what is coming up for you? Why are you getting cross? Why are you getting angry? Why are you getting irritable in your premenstruum? So I'd really start, you know, first place is, is to start there. And, and women suffer with, like really struggle with anxiety. And there is a physiological reason why you have heightened anxiety. And they really suffer with, suffer with stress. And they worry about being angry and they worry about irritability and they worry about mood swings. But they've had a map for that for years. So if they've been ignoring what's not working for them, like on a deep level, and and it can be hard to go there because it can be big things. It can be your career. It can be your close relationships. It can be your family of origin. It could be you've outgrown your friendship group. It's It's usually around a growth point that feels too hard to change. So you have to go kindly and tenderly, but if you start to pay attention to that, you'll know what those underlying causes of stress are and then you can start to address them now before they become really acute in perimenopause. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So what about folks who have spent a lot of their... um, their menstrual life on birth control. Does that have an effect mm. on perimenopause that you're aware of? Yeah, unfortunately it does. So um, it can affect the expression of your sex hormones in perimenopause and menopause in that it takes, um, there's the sex hormone binding globulin and it can, it, it's, it doesn't work as well when you've been on the birth control pill. So your body doesn't have as much capacity to make sex hormones or to utilize sex hormones naturally um, if you've been on the post, on the on the hormonal birth control pill. And also there's some uh, like research to say that being on the pill does lead to long-term anxiety and depression. Mm. And anxiety and depression could be a big thing in perimenopause. So 
if you're on if you're on the pill you haven't been having a period that whole time so you never get you only ever get a withdrawal withdrawal bleed and you're shutting down the communication between your brain and your ovaries now some people some women are really happy on the pill and it's totally a personal choice but if you want to prepare for like a more natural perimenopause then um getting coming off the pill getting yourself really well nourished like lots of b vitamins in your diet for sure because the pill would deplete those um get familiar with your cycle uh, and really up your self-care as much as much as possible so yeah it's controversial the pill but it really doesn't you know do do us much good in the long yeah. term yeah right. yeah right, right yeah i mean i know it's it's necessary for certain people um yeah, absolutely but uh and then oh gosh i had another question to add on to that um well let's talk about what's physically happening within the body um and like in regard to like heart brain bone disease things like that yeah so as i mentioned um your estrogen and progesterone levels are changing and estrogen is the one that kind of gets all the attention and for good reason so uh, estrogen has over 400 receptors in your body so it affects everything it affects your skin your hair your nails your brain your bone your heart um it affects like the the walls of the vagina and your pelvic floor and your joints so everything needs estrogen and you're starting a period of um, these high estrogen levels of your reproductive years it's starting to fall away and the ovaries stop producing estrogen and the adrenal glands start to take over and then also um, the fat around your middle your belly fat produces estrogen that you need as well so a little bit of thickening around your waist is a good thing uh, it's like you're getting plump in in the autumn just like the squashes get ripe and plump you need a little bit of plumpness i love that <laughs> to support support your hormonal levels uh some women find that they they lose it menopausally as well but you don't want too much of it so keep a check on that mm -hmm. um but because your estrogen levels are dropping, uh, as I said, you don't have that stress buffer. So women can feel more anxious. They can feel like um, this big adrenal rush of anxiety that actually doesn't feel like it's triggered by anything in particular. So I used to come off the school run and I'd just be walking home. And it was, like, it was almost like, um, I guess it was almost like a, a surge in birth. It was like a surge of anxiety Whoosh. Mm. and the only thing that I couldn't work out what was going on and the only thing I could do was like literally count down my breaths and I think it took me like 108 down to zero and then I was calm count down 108 breaths wow so that, that can be really disconcerting if you're not expecting it and then you think oh there's something really wrong with my mental health now. Like I was never like this before. I was never anxious before. You know, what is going on? So I think just knowing it helps uh, and then really using any strategies that you have to calm your anxiety. Stress levels are heightened. So again, you're sensitive to um, 
yeah you're sensitive to those bits of your life that aren't really kind of nourishing and supportive you're you, you, again i think it's like birth you know when you go into physiological fear just before the second stage of labor and then like an old midwife's trick is to kind of poke the preg poke the laboring woman or scratch her to irritate her and then you can um if she's really you know like get off me or really angsty then you know it's a good sign because you know that she's getting that phys that physiological kind of fear and adrenal rush and, and her body's gearing up to give birth mm. so yeah so thinking about it you have that kind of um tetchiness and irritability as you're preparing to give birth like rebirth yourself so there's a heightened stress and anxiety and that's because your estrogen levels are dropping but also if you're running on empty you're on the go all the time then you'll be producing more cortisol which means that um you won't be producing as much progesterone which is the calming anti-anxiety hormone so that kind of plays into the stress and anxiety as well and then you get typical things like you can get hot flushes although they aren't really as common they're not like the main symptom um night sweats some women feel like nauseous or they just don't feel like themselves um some women get like really tired like like down to the bones exhausted can't do their usual exercise don't understand why maybe their usual exercise makes them more anxious more stressed more tired um brilliantly your pelvic floor goes to pot which is like great <laughs> um so not everyone but because estrogen supports the tissues in your vagina and your pelvic floor if you've not if you've had stress or urge incontinence in the past or any kind of unhealed birth trauma that can be exacerbated if you've not had um that in the past you might get urge incontinence or stress incontinence. So urge incontinence is when you you know you put your keys in the door turn the keys in the door and then you can't make it to the toilet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then stress incontinence is like when you laugh and you leak or you're, you're jumping and you leak um so that, somebody could like go see a pelvic floor therapist now <laughs> to prepare themselves. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, for sure. Make, you know, get, if you've got any scarring or you've had an episiotomy or you've had tears during birth, then just get it checked out. Check that's all nicely healed. If you get a really good women's health physio, she'll do like a myofascial release around the pelvic floor. She'll be able to tell you um, whether your pelvic floor is too tight or too loose. Um, and it's really important that you get that personalized care because, you know, if you're teaching, if you go to a yoga class you, or you go to Pilates or something, you're only ever going to get general guidance. And if you're always tightening your pelvic floor, well, maybe it's, you've got a hypertonic pelvic floor. So you're, you need to learn how to relax your pelvic floor. So, and then that was certainly my case. I thought, oh, no problem with my pelvic floor. I've done yoga. I've been teaching pregnancy yoga for years. I've been doing my pelvic floor. And, you know, and then I went for a run and totally wet myself. And it was like, mm -hmm. so embarrassing and humiliating and, and, um, totally out of the blue mm -hmm. so 
yeah and then women can find that their like their sensitivity during sex changes so they don't get as aroused they find it harder to orgasm or they have like no libido or they have like in perimenopause that you can have like crazy high libido because your body just like goes chuck out all the eggs last chance uh, chuck them out, <laughs> chuck them out. <laughs> oh man i wish that i could That's say what... i was having the latter but i think i'm having the first one <laughs> Oh, you can get pregnant, definitely get pregnant in perimenopause. Lots of women have babies in their 40s. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's a real deal, y'all. In case you missed that, you can get pregnant in perimenopause. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so just check if you've got those urges to have another baby in your, in your 40s. It's like... Do you actually want to have another baby or is there something else in you that wants it to be born? Like, is there a creative project, a book or something that actually wants to be born? Not another baby. If Oof. it's another baby, great. It's your last chance. But if it's not, just check in with yourself. Oh, I love that so much. Something else that actually wants to be born. Um, that's amazing. Can I ask you when I, this is a question I get asked a lot and I I don't ever have an answer. And so I'm wondering if you might. Mm. So when I talk about using the rhythms of the body and, you know, I, it's not just body rhythms, it's like other rhythms as well. But, um, I do focus a lot on the menstrual cycle and there are a lot of people that I speak with who don't have a menstrual cycle for whatever reason, or, or, you know, menopausal or postmenopausal or whatever. And, um, thank you. I just had coffee delivery. It's the best. Ooh, nice. <laughs> um so and they're like well what do I track how do I know what my rhythms are doing and how what do I look for so that I you know can also harness that wisdom of my body is there is it kind of like during perimenopause it's like anything goes or are there things that we can start looking for to like you know utilize yeah so as soon as you start i mean hopefully like you are you're tracking your cycle already so you're kind of wise to those changes so you just keep tracking those changes and then start to look for like if you're experiencing anxiety just think about what you ate or what you did if you cut an hour before the day before if you get hot flushes like what do you think triggered that hot flush if you're getting bloating because your digestive system now because it doesn't have so much estrogen it gets really sensitive so it will bloat uh, and you might get constipated or diarrhea because it's like i really don't like that anymore <laughs> mm, so if you're mm -hmm. you're tracking and noting and you've got that awareness you will start to see patterns and from those patterns you can move towards the things that support you and then start to let go of the things that you don't support you you know, so like alcohol and sugar, typical, you're going to be way less tolerant now in perimenopause. You kind of just can't do sugar or alcohol. Caffeine, you know, that depends on the individual, um, how attached to it. I'm really attached to my cup of coffee every day. Uh, <laughs> every here, day. here. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're just going to, you're going to be way more sensitive. So keep the track. And then um, I don't know if you're uh, tracking with the lunar cycle as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the moon. Mm -hmm. So the moon becomes like your anchor 
So as your menstrual cycle becomes uh, less predictable, you don't have that that kind of ebb and flow that you normally do, then link into the lunar cycle. And you often find that your energy starts to move towards the lunar cycle. So you get your spring and your summer in the first quarter of, of the lunar cycle up to full moon. And then you get your, your autumn and your winter in the um, yeah, third and fourth quarter. So full moon down to new moon. I love that. Yeah. I actually made, um, a guide this year. People can go, uh, we'll link it in the show notes, um, for how to utilize the lunar cycle. And I made like a lunar calendar. Um, and I just started using an app called Stardust mm. and it's definitely like the more like witchy woo side of me. Yeah. Um, but you can track your menstrual cycle and the lunar cycle and it lines them up to kind of show like what your energies are doing, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I want it to have more features, but I think it's a pretty new app. So, um, we can also link that in the show notes if people are looking for it. It's a free period tracking app and lunar tracking tracking app. So, um, yeah, I love, I mean, that's, that's usually what I go to is like, you know, still continue to take data in on yourself. Like obviously your body is saying a whole load of new things. <laughs> it's giving you so much new information in this transition. And I don't think I'd even be aware. Like I, I really feel like I'm in early stages of perimenopause. Like I don't even think I'd be aware if I hadn't had to spend the last couple of years really tracking my cycle. And, um, and you know, now paying more attention to the moon because I had put so much energy into like, what is my body doing with my hormones in regard to my menstrual cycle? And now looking at the moon and how it's affecting me. And it's been pretty fascinating to like make that transition. Um, yeah. and I think it, you know, it, it, it holds so much power, the lunar cycle. And I think again, it's, it's been like one of those, like, I feel like woo has become a really derogatory term. Like, Oh, that's so woo. And, and like, I'm trying to get people to like, question why and I think there's so much wisdom in the lunar cycle and like how our bodies respond to it you know if we're made so much of water and you look at the oceans and how the oceans respond to to the moon you know it's like well of course we would respond in one way or another so um so anyway it's it's pretty powerful to think about um just making that transition into really focusing on the lunar cycle and what happens there yeah and why wouldn't our bodies be you know we're we're, we're completely au okay with circadian rhythms from a from a western scientific perspective and circadian rhythms are based on the 24-hour male hormone you know that's 24-hour male hormonal cycle we can accept that concept so why can't we accept the concept uh, that women's bodies are aligned to the moon it's like totally. you know it's not it could sound woo, but it's, we're part of nature. We're not separate from nature. And, yeah. uh, and the first calendar was, I, I can't remember the name. It was a British woman. She always talks about, um, oh, Sandy Toxfig. She always talks about how she was in a lecture in Cambridge. Uh, she went to Cambridge University and they were talking about the first calendar and they showed a, like a, a bone with 28 notches on it and the lecturer gave his theory and she was like who else but a woman is going to oh. mark 28 notches on a bone <laughs> 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 like, 
And then from that moment, she was like, right, question everything. 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 God, that, yeah, the patriarchal model is just so ingrained. (laughs) It's like, duh, yeah, 28 days. Like, what what happens in 28 days? Like... yeah, Why would you want to know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Um, I have one more question for you, and this is actually just to kind of circle back in um, an earlier part of the conversation. But um, if if people are heading into perimenopause and they come into a situation like I did, where my practitioner was like, "Why don't you try the pill?" Mm. What? Um, you know, and without giving medical advice, obviously, which I know you're not going to do, but hi folks, she's not giving medical advice, but what, like, why would somebody, why would they suggest that? And what are courses of action? Why would they suggest that? I think it's can always, always be like a quick thing, an easy thing to go to. Um, so I would ask your you know, whoever you're going to see, ask your practitioner, why are you suggesting the hormonal birth control pill? Like, why? Can you explain to me what the, ben- you know, with birth, like what are the benefits of this? What are the risks of it? What are the alternatives? And what if I do nothing? You know, and then you can sit back and go, well, what does my intuition tell me? And you need to ask them for like, how does it relate to me as an individual? Like what's the, what's the evidence on this? And then how does it relate to me as an individual so that I can make the decision about whether it's the best route for me or not? Maybe it is the best route for you. Maybe it's not, but until you have that very clear uh, information, then you can't make a truly informed decision. Mm, Okay. Why the pill? Why the pill? What's the evidence and how does it relate to me specifically? Mm, I have this huge smile on my face. One, I wanted to ask you because I was really curious to hear what you said and I kind of figured I'd know. But um, when I went to my practitioner and this was the conversation I was having with her, meanwhile, I was seeing my acupuncturist and we were having a vastly different conversation. Um, Liz and I did an episode called, uh, so you got a diagnosis now what? And we basically just walked through this whole scenario and we were both, I mean, we're both like in the birth world and we were both like, let's talk about brain. What are the benefits? What are the risks? (laughs) I love that that was your suggestion because I'm like, yep, that's exactly what we said too. So no, that's, I, um, really good information for folks out there because I feel like a lot of people are going to come to, you know, when they're in this transition, because, you know, most of our listeners are women, we're all going to be there at some point. And I think that, you know, I won't be alone in receiving that suggestion. And it's really good to have those tools of like, how do I make these decisions moving forward when I'm trying to like manage what's going on with my body, understand it, like, especially with Things like being exhausted or brain fog or all the fun things that come in perimenopause, you know, and it can seem, I I remember like being pregnant and how hard it was to make decisions because I was exhausted and I had brain fog and, you know, things felt overwhelming and I made a bunch of decisions that in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have made, um, you know, and of course, like there's a whole thing about, uh, like my guilt around that, that I've had to deal with, but 
you know, in moving forward, like now I can see that perimenopause is on the horizon, like all the signs are there. And just trying to figure out how to navigate that as a person who wants to to do it, like embracing the process and um, as naturally as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was thinking about this or talking about this with my husband. It's almost easier in birth pregnancy. I know it sounds ridiculous because it can be really hard to get the care that you want in pregnancy and birth. But it's almost easier in pregnancy and birth to get the care that you need. Um, because we have so much more awareness about it now, we know what the alternatives are, we understand the physiology and we understand the anatomy of that process so much more clearly than we used to. Menopause, you have to have empathy for medical practitioners because they typically have zero, or at least in the UK, zero to two hours training on the menopause. So this means they do not have a clue and you will have to educate them as you educate yourself. And that is a particular stress of being a woman. Mm -hmm. So the way that you can support yourself in that, because actually it's, it's, um, has a negative impact on your hormonal health. If you ask for help and you're dismissed or you don't get the help that you need. So it's part of our process as women, our stress response is to ask for help and to get the help that we need. So you may not get that from your doctor. So one being aware of that, and then you need to build in that support with your women, with your wide, with your community, with your family, whoever supports you so that you're not seeking that from your doctor and then work with your doctor in collaboration. Like if they talk about HRT, hormone replacement therapy, again, why, why me? What's the evidence? And there's so many different types of HRT, like, in the States, you talk about bioidentical HRT. In, in the UK, that is HRT for us, but then there's different forms and, and preparations of it. Is it, uh, you know, is there a risk for taking HRT? Well, yes, some forms of HRT, there's a risk of, slight risk of stroke, some there's not. Would it, will you take it as a preventative form of, uh, you know, preventative for your, for your brain disease, for, uh, for heart disease, for bone health? Um, you know, there's so many different permutations of that argument, but all it gets put down to is natural versus medical roots. And as you know, from birth, I'm sure there isn't a right or wrong. You have to work out what works for you as an individual and make a plan and then know that that plan can change. And that's okay. Once you know better, you do better, but you'll be educating your doctor as you go. Mm. I love that. Yeah. It's like nutrition. I mean, doctors get very, very, very little training in nutrition as well. And yeah. Wow. That's so powerful, Jess. Thank you so much. Um, so I like to end with a, um, takeaway, but before we do that, do you have anything else you want to cover anything that we didn't cover in this conversation? Yeah. So the, uh, just to pick up on the heart, brain, oh, and yes. bone health. So what every woman focuses on and what gets all the attention is the symptoms of perimenopause. Okay. So there, there can be a real struggle and uh, they're totally in your face or they can be in your face, but rather than focusing on those symptoms 
Um, what really matters most at this phase in your life is how you're looking after your heart, your heart, your brain and your bones. So it's not well known that after the age of 50, heart disease is the number one killer of women in the world worldwide. And then uh, we get the next biggest killer is um, dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's like coming in in your 70s. And, and then you get um, death from osteoporosis when your, your bones bone health deteriorates. And most women who have an osteoporotic fracture will then die within a year of that fracture because they're no longer able to care for themselves. Wow. So all of these are diseases of midlife. They, they start now. And in perimenopause, you have more support from your estrogen to get all of that working really well for you. So if you're having brain fog, if you're having forgetfulness, these are signs that within five years, you could start laying down the foundations for dementia. And I often find it's one of the symptoms that's most dismissed by women. Oh yeah, I'm getting really forgetful, forget why I was in a room. Oh, you know, you know it's kind of downplayed. And you're really, you know, imagine that woman in her second spring, she's going to bring so much with her. So know that this is a really a time for you to make sure that you are looking after yourself like no other, like no other. Because if we're going to change the world, <laughs> which we are, then we need you to be well, healthy, strong, thinking clearly and, and living long. Yes. Um, yeah. Praise hands. Praise hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something um, I recently, so I signed up for masterclass, which is like they've, everybody on this podcast, if you've listened, you've heard me talk about it, but um, you can like take classes from all these like masterful people. And right now, or one that I've been really into is um, the science of better sleep. And the guy is, ta he's talking right now, like the lesson I'm watching is he's talking about how sleep they're finding that sleep clears out certain type of proteins in the brain to that they're linking to dementia and one of the challenges that i know is that as women age we have a harder time sleeping getting into that deeper sleep and so you know figuring out ways to like still get that deep restful sleep moving forward can really make a difference with, you know, brain health and dementia, preventing dementia, et cetera. Do you have any, any insight into that? Yeah. So to get into that deep restful sleep, you need to have low cortisol levels. Um, and so that means bringing in more rest, different types of rest in your day. So, um, we just think we often think of rest just being like napping or lying down with your feet up. Um, but there's lots of different types of rest. So there's like uh, emotional rest. So rest from stressful people or situations. Um, and then the flip side of that is spending time with people that lo you love and that bring you pleasure and fulfillment and enjoyment. You really enjoy being in their company. There's um, creative rest. So time in nature, um, making stuff, doing things with your hands. Um, and can't remember what the other different types of rest are but but not to to stay 
not to stay within this narrow idea of rest, but just mm-hmm. think about living a really nourished life that uh, brings the oxytocin levels up, which is then going to reduce your cortisol levels. And then that's going to set you up for a much better night's sleep because you're not going to be tired and wired before bed or with your or if women are waking up like one, two in the morning, that's because their circadian rhythm is is got disrupted and they think their body thinks it's like time to go at one o'clock in the morning. So oxytocin, rest, nourishment, pleasure, enjoyment in your day is gonna feed and nourish your sleep as well as the whole of your life. Mm, I love that so much. <laughs> um, do you have a, a call to action that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. So if they'd like to check out uh, more of my work, if they'd like to work with me, then they can um, check me out on Instagram. I'm at Jess Adams Wellness. I'm also on Facebook at Jess Adams Wellness. And um, yeah, I've got a symptoms, signs and symptoms list uh, on my website, Jess Adams Wellness jessadamswellness.com so you can download that and kind of check and see where you're at see if you've got any of those symptoms or signs coming up and that's a really good place to start because then you're you can start charting that or you can think well i need help with this bit right now so so where do i need to go for that oh yes i will go check that out man well it has been such a pleasure talking to you Jess I really appreciate all of your insight and wisdom and reframing around this inevitable transition in life um thank you so much and uh I yeah thanks for coming on the show yeah thank you so much Sharon it's been an absolute pleasure and uh yeah really exciting to talk to you about it and and to share it with your listeners so thanks so much for the opportunity Wowza, right? Like what a powerful conversation and reframe um, for menopause and perimenopause. Like I was totally terrified. I'm not going to lie. And now I'm like, you know, maybe it won't be so bad. Like I'm all about being the queen, right? Um, Anyway, go check out Jess Adams at all the places she said. um, Jess Adams Wellness on social and JessAdamsWellness.com. We'll also link it for you in the show notes. Um, And then... Liz and I really want to hear from you. So leave us a voice message. Uh, We'll also put that in the show notes. All you do is you click the link, you, and you just start talking. Um, Tell us your thoughts. Like, tell us if you had some huge aha moments or, you know, if you want to hear more like this, we really want to hear from you. Um, It totally makes our day. So anyway, thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week.